you've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to episode 24 of the Chat with Traders podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to have you here. So on the show this week, my guest is Ivan Hoff, an equities trader of 10 years who tackles the market with a swing trading approach to capture powerful short-term gainers that may run anywhere between 3 to 10 days. While swing trading is his bread and butter, Ivan also allocates a portion of his capital to position trading when he has a reason to believe that the trend will continue for the longer term. He's also written several books including The 5 Secrets to Highly Profitable Swing Trading and The Next Apple, which was a collaboration with Howard Lindzen, who is the co-founder and CEO of StockTwits. Plus, Ivan is regularly featured in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, Traders Magazine, and he's also a familiar face amongst the StockTwits community. Now, continue listening to learn about Ivan's trading methodology, one of his high-probability swing setups, the importance of following industry momentum, and a whole lot more. Hey Ivan, what's up, man? How's your week been? Oh, it's been very, really well. How are you, Aaron? I'm very well, Ivan. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I'm thrilled to have you on, and um, yeah, again, thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Ivan, if you could give us the rundown on where you've come from, sort of how you got into trading, and what was it about trading that really appealed to you? Okay, uh, so I was born in Bulgaria, that's uh, Southeast Europe, just north of Greece and Turkey. And uh, I mean, people there and just in Europe in general uh, don't really have that stock market culture ingrained in them. Like most people there invest their money in real estate, their own business, or just they keep their money at the bank where you know, they pay you know, 3 4%. So uh, no one really invests their money or trades in the stock market. 
there. Um, so I pretty much I entered the stock market during one of the the biggest uh, bull markets in financial history for emerging markets. So whatever happened to uh, Nasdaq in the later nineties, uh, pretty much happened to emerging markets in uh, the early to mid two thousands. Percentage wise, uh, percentage wise, of course. Uh, like I will give you a quick example. Uh, like the Bulgarian stock market went up like more than two thousand percent between 2002 and 2007. So uh, I opened, opened an account there with my savings and pretty much at the beginning I, I wasn't really trading. It was more of a buy and hold approach and just watch my account grow. Uh, and then in uh, 2000 and late 2005, I moved to the States to study. And this is when I opened my first uh, trading account and started to double into trading more. Pretty much that is how I started. And at the beginning, of course, the, the, the state market was very different than uh, the Bulgarian market because of liquidity, of course. Uh, the Bulgarian market wasn't liquid at all. It was, it's a really small market and you can really trade. The U.S. market is you know, the biggest market in the world. So pretty much anyone, that, anyone who trades for a living anywhere in the world, uh, you know, you trade the U.S. market pretty much, the U.S. stock market. Yeah, absolutely. So what were your early experiences like? I mean, did you hit kind of like a, uh, kind of like some beginner's luck to start off with or did you, you know, blow up multiple accounts? What were the first couple of years of trading like for you? Well, I would say that I was really lucky, you know, of first make, making, uh, first growing my account really, really uh, fast uh, on the Bulgarian stock market and then moving in the States in 2005, 2006 when it was a really good bull market uh, here too by the time I moved. Uh, and of course, at the beginning, I made all the mistakes that all beginning traders do several times over. Uh, like at the beginning, for example, I, I did not have an edge. Uh, luckily, I, I found a few very good uh, finan- financial blocks at the time and alert a lot from them. Uh, I uh, found IBD Investors Business Daily. I was reading uh, the Kirk Report. I was reading Stockbeep. And out of there, I actually developed uh, one of my major setups that I use uh, even today. Uh, it's based on post-earnings announcement drift. So pretty much um, it means that any company that receives favorable market reaction to its earnings reports tend to continue to trend in the same direction for at least several weeks after that, after that gap up or down. So based on that, I... Uh, I developed my, my first major setup. Okay, that's excellent. We might get into that a little bit more um, a bit later in the interview. But um, just sort of looking back on that time, you mentioned you made sort of a number of mistakes over a game. What were sort of some of those big mistakes that kind of stood out and you found sort of the most challenging to overcome? Well, I think one of the biggest one was... Um, was position sizing. I was I was uh, I was taking too big positions uh, without really uh, taking into account the capital at risk. You know, this might be really su- suitable occasionally for someone with a lot of a lot more experience, but not for someone that is you know just starting out. Trading too big could mean making a lot of money in a sometimes in a crappy market environment if you pick the right stocks. Or it, or it could mean losing a lot of money in an excellent market environment because you happen to pick the one or two stocks that did not move. Uh, so, um, so this time I was 
uh, I was I, I used to grow my account like a 30 50 percent in a month in a month or two during strong uptrends and then I give uh, gave back most of it uh, when the inevitable correction uh, came so I know everyone everyone makes money in a, in an uptrading market but not everyone uh, keeps that money when when the correction comes so that was that was a big struggle for me initially just to learn how to time the market properly because there is no trading approach or no trading setup has a 100% success rate. Uh, so you, you really have to take into account the right market environment when you need, when you need to pounce and, uh, and make all, all of your money and, and to know when just to step aside or just to use a different setup for that specific market environment. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned their position sizing. So that was sort of one of the biggest things that, you know, you were challenged with. How did you sort of overcome that? I mean, did we just sort of, were you maybe taking less trades or were you just sort of, you know, risking less on per trade or, you know, like how did you, how did you overcome that? Well, well, I found a much more scientific way to approach position sizing based on capital at risk. So nowadays they risk, uh, anywhere between uh, 25 basis points and 100 basis points, which is 1% of my capital per, uh, per trade, depending on the, on the setup and on the market environment. So I know exactly how much I have at risk every time. Okay, that's really good. So let's get into a little bit about sort of your actual trading approach that you've sort of adapted and that you're trading today. So if you could, just give us an overview of your approach to the markets? Sure. Uh, so uh, pretty much uh, I'm a swing trader. Uh, my holding period is uh, anywhere between uh, three to 10 trading days. Uh, so wh- why a swing trader? Because uh, like I believe there is a there is the 80-20 rule that's, uh, that exists in the market. But, uh, most stocks spent in a, in a range, about 80, 80% of their time they spent in a range. And the majority of their move happens in only 15, 20% of the trading days. So the purpose of swing trading is just to capture that 15, 20% of the time when the stocks are actually moving. So I, uh, so I, I buy on strength and I sell on strength. Okay. And would you say that you've sort of been a swing trader since day one, or is this sort of something you've slowly sort of gravitated towards and it's now kind of stuck with you? No, at the beginning, the first couple of years that I was struggling to find uh, an actual edge. Uh, so the first few years, I was actually trading only only one setup uh, that that was based on uh, post post earnings announcement drift. It was a pretty much anticipation setup when I was uh, looking for stocks that gapped and then consolidated through time. And pretty much, I bought that consolidation in expectation uh, of a continuation of that move. And then over time, I added more setups uh, to my portfolio of setups. You know, I started trading uh, breakouts and pullbacks. And uh, I started taking into account um, factors like industry momentum, uh, floats, individual stock momentum. Okay, sure. And you sort of brought up an interesting point there was sort of how you just... um you just sort of focused on one particular setup for the first couple of years. Do you think that's sort of contributed to the success or the level of success you've been able to reach today by 
just focusing on one sort of setup while you were sort of learning the ropes? Uh, absolutely. I think at the beginning, and not only at the beginning, less is more. Uh, the pe- people have to, I think, have to find just one great setup uh, and learn absolutely everything about it and when to trade it. And then, and then over time, as you really become really good at it, you can start adding, you know, new setups because, you know, that particular setup that I trade is not is not good for uh, all market environments. So, for example, it's not good for uh, during market corrections. So over time, you start to add, as you get better and better, you start to add new setups for the different market environments. Yeah, that's great. That's really excellent. So. Just before we go any further, what markets are you sort of most active in and what are you trading? Are you trading sort of stocks, options, ETFs? Like, just tell us a little bit about that. Uh, US, US equities, that's it. Nowadays, I only trade US stocks. Okay, sure, sure. As a swing trader, like, what would you say is your primary aim? Like, what opportunities are you aiming to exploit in the market? What opportunities? Uh, so, as, as I said, Stocks move in cycles. They spend the majority of their time in a range, and I'm looking to win those stocks when they're out of that range. So I capitalize on their on their move. So opportunity cost is a really big, big thing for me. I, um, any any capital that I allocate to one stock, I cannot allocate to another. So it's for me, it's really important to be in stocks that are actually moving at the time. So I maximize my uh, capital allocation. Okay, sure. That's that's really good. So again, just as a swing trader, how connected to the market are you during actual trading hours? Like, do you watch the intraday action or are you mostly analyzing data after the close each day? Well, I, I do both. Um, so some, some of my signals uh, trigger intraday so I take them intraday. So, so during the day, I, mean, I, I don't watch every tick, of course. I, I run a bunch of screens uh, that show up certain results. And if I like the setup, you know, I'll take it intraday. Okay, excellent. So what are some of the things that you, that you really look for to identify big short-term gainers like before they actually move? Like, like what is it that often drives these powerful short-term market moves? So the single uh, most influential factor for short-term moves is uh, industry momentum. If you're in the right industry, you're very likely uh, you know, to capture a stock that, uh, that is likely to move a lot. So being in the right industry could be the, the difference between you know, getting a breakout that will get an immediate follow-through or getting a, black, a breakout that is going to uh, fade uh, very quickly. You know, it could be the difference between uh, getting a stock, getting into stock that is going to move twenty percent in a couple of weeks, or getting in a stock that is going to move, you know, five percent. So being in the right industry is the single most important thing, you know, uh, a trader could do. So I'm really paying attention to the to the hot industries, uh, you know, of the month. Like recently, we've seen huge moves in um, cybersecurity, in uh, semiconductors, in biotech. So those are the industries that are, uh, I've been focusing my on my capital and attention, and you know those industries change uh, pretty much every few weeks. So you really uh, need to pay attention to that to industry momentum. Okay, so once you identify an industry that's picking up some momentum, 
how do you sort of um, drill down on which stocks you're actually going to place trades on? So the first, you know, the, uh, from my perspective, the best way to figure out which industries are hot is just to, you know, I run a, a few screeners that are based on uh, uh, on various criteria, on uh, diff- on uh, momentum, on various uh, timescales. And based on the, and if certain industry has a large numbers of setups that are showing up, this is the industry that I need to focus. And, um, and of course, I'll give a priority to, uh, to recent IPOs because uh, recent IPOs, uh, they, they have a very small float. Like most companies um, initially sell only between 7 and 15% of their shares outstanding to the market. So during the first uh, six months, uh, they could move a lot because of their small float. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest movers on uh, on a month to six month uh, time frame, you'll see that so many of them are, are actually recent IPOs. And that's exactly because of two reasons. And because they're a small float and because they belong to a currently hot industry. You know, those are the those are the two fact, the two uh, most defining factors for their outperformance. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. So you kind of touched on this before, but if we could just go into it a little deeper, would you be able to run us through your ideal setup for a high probability swing trade, like on an individual stock, and at what point you might enter into that as well? Sure. Um, so uh, it belongs to, let's say, to a hot industry let's say, currently to, you know, biotech or, or, uh, or semiconductor. Um, and it's, um, it, had, it has an, an initial leg up, so it, it, it has an already established momentum. And then it has spent some time consolidating, uh, usually through time or through, uh, through, or through price, so there is a slight pullback. Uh, so I'm looking for, uh, for the five-day moving average to be trading above the 20-day moving average. And then I'm looking for uh, something I call um, a pivot move. So I'm not just looking for a pivot level that has to be uh, taken out to enter. I'm looking for a, pivot, for a pivot move. I'm looking for a certain size of a move, for example, a 2% breakout to new 20-day uh, high in, on, in order to enter. And that's it pretty much. Okay, so when you said you look for the first leg... How, what sort of time frame are you looking at there? Like, how long would a would a leg typically take to form? Like, what sort of size are we are we talking about here? Uh, it it could be anywhere between one week and uh, and three months, or or even six months. Okay, right. Okay, sure. So, for argument's sake, let's just say you identify I don't know maybe like twenty of these setups, or maybe other setups that look equally appealing. How do you go about filtering out which trades you will and won't take? I guess another way of asking this is um, when you have more signals than capital. So how do you decide which trades to act on? Because you can't take every trade, obviously. Of course. I mean, I'll just let some go. Uh, and I'll, I'll give a priority to uh, stocks that belong to a currently hot industry and to recent IPOs just because they tend to move a lot faster. If you study... You know, the best performing stocks 
on a one to four week time frame, you you know you figure out you know as I, as I already repeated several times, I guess that you know there either is an IPOs or or they belong to a hot industry. So of course I'll give priori- priority to to those too. Uh, and then if, uh, by the time I'm uh, I'm in 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 seven to eight stocks, uh, I'm, pre- uh, I'm pretty much already fully invested. So I'll, um, I'll hold them, you know, anywhere between three to ten days, depending on the price action. And you know, if if a better opportunity shows up, uh, I'll sell those that are not acting as well, and I'll just uh, reallocate money. Okay, right. So you mentioned the three to ten days a couple of times. Like, how did you discover this was an effective holding time for your approach? Ba- based on based on studying past winners. So I meticulously study past winners on uh, several different time frames, on a week, two week, a month, a quarter, six months. So every day I, I study the best performers, you know, stocks that, that, were, that were up more than 10% uh, for the week, more than uh, 20% for the month. And I'm studying their charts and I've been doing that for years. And I figure out that most swing legs, you know, last anywhere between three to 10 days. And then there is another consolidation. And, you know, then the same stock uh, could spend, you know, a few days to a few weeks consolidating through time or price. And then it will break out again. And, you know, you can enter again. Okay. That's interesting. So let's say a stock you've been in it, you've been holding a position for 10 days and it's still moving in your favor. It's not really showing too much of a sign of weakness. Are you likely to still cut that or maybe you're going to hold on to that? This is very unusual. And, and uh, you know, most of, 80% of my trades are swing trades, but I also have some uh, you know, longer term positions that I hold for multiple weeks. And, um, you know, I, I, for my longer term positions, I pay attention to uh, weekly charts. So if a stock has a really good weekly charts and has a story that I really understand uh, and is acting price-wise uh, properly, I, I might uh, you know hold it for multiple weeks, even multiple months. But that's that's a relatively smaller portion of my capital that I allocate to that. Uh, you know, you can call that uh, I guess position trading. It's a little bit different than swing trading. Swing trading is, is three to three to ten days. Uh, yeah, and you're looking you're looking to capture you know five to thirty uh, percent quick moves. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a few questions around your sort of longer term approach that I'm keen to ask you as well. But just still on the topic of swing trading, uh, so you've written a book titled "The Five Secrets to Highly Profitable Swing Trading." I know we can't go into huge depth on each of those five topics, obviously. Um, but would you be able to briefly touch on each one of? you know, the, the five secrets. And if anyone is listening, I mean, they can obviously dig deeper and grab the Kindle from Amazon. But would you be able to give us just an overview of what the five secrets to highly profitable swing trading might be? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, it, it, it's a really simple book. I think it's uh, it, it's simple for a reason. So even people without any trading experience could get it real quick. So pretty much in chapter one, I talk about when to buy. Uh, and I describe my perfect uh, my perfect swing setup, and uh, and I've already talked about it here. Looking for an initial uh, leg up, then some form of consolidation, uh, 
we have the five day, the price of trading above the five day moving average, and then the five day above the twenty day, uh, and then you could either buy a breakout at, at least two percent move to new twenty day high, or you could buy in anticipation of a breakout. Is that if that particular uh, setup meets certain criteria? For example, if that particular stock has recently had uh, like a really good earning surprise and a favorable market reaction. And if the market environment is right, you can buy in anticipation before the breakout. Like this is really uh, an approach that as your account grows in size, uh, you could take, uh, you know, uh, you, you pretty much you have to buy in anticipation of a breakout because there's not enough liquidity to chase after after most breakouts. Um, so in chapter in, in chapter two, I talk about uh, when to sell, and pretty much in swing trading, uh, it's good to sell on strength because we, we are only looking to capture uh, that quick three to ten, three to ten day uh, like up or down, and just to avoid the the dead periods when uh, the stock stocks consolidate through time or through price. Then in chapter three, I talk about how to improve. Uh, the odds in your favor. Uh, how to how to capture uh, bigger bigger winners, pretty much. And there, I talk about industry momentum. Why is it so important? I talk about uh, IPOs and I, I talk about individual uh, stock momentum. In chapter four, I talk about uh, the so-called fourth secret. I talk about um, risk management. About I talk about position sizing and how important it is. And um, in chapter five, I talk about market timing, uh, why and, and how to time the market, and uh, w- when to risk 1% of your capital and when to risk you know, a quarter percent and when, when to sit uh, pretty much on the sidelines. So it's, it's really, really sweet, really short book. You can pretty much read it in probably an hour. Okay, awesome. Yeah, well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if anyone's keen to check it out. Um, they can they can pick up a copy of it. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then they made it easier to evaluate each investment opportunity with better data in the places you need it most. Finally, they made investing in bonds as straightforward as stocks or any other asset. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. 
How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. But um, going moving along to sort of what you touched on before, like your position trading approach, so uh, separate from swing trading, from your experience, like what do the big winners have in common? How do you identify stocks that are likely to rally longer than sort of your three to 10 days that you look for when you're swing trading? Is it again sort of momentum within an industry or is there something more to it? Well, th- there are several factors. Um, w- one of them is uh, earnings, earnings growth. Uh, uh, usually, uh, the best long-term performers are, are the stocks that that consistently report, you know, high earnings and, and sales growth. Another important factor is uh, general uh, price momentum, which pretty much uh, is the reflections of, of people people's expectations about the future. Uh, you know, there, there were so many recent examples uh, like like Tesla Motors or Yelp. Uh, those stocks tripled and quadrupled before they reported a single profitable quarter. So the market in this case was forward-looking. Um, it was it was expecting those stocks to do very well in the future. Of course, in many occasions the market won't be right. In many since the market is a discounting mechanism, in many cases it will discount future events that will never happen. You know that happen all the time. And once the market, you know, gets tired of waiting for those uh, companies to actually deliver what it is expecting, uh, you see that you see a correction, as we saw, as we saw in Yelp. You know, it's it's not uncommon to see um, a stock that will go up 400 percent in, let's say, in a period of a year and two, and that, and then it will give back fifty to eighty percent of that move in six months. You know, it usually happens to stocks where the market has had very high expectations and you could have ridden those moves just based on, on price momentum. And then, at, as I said, at some point, the market grows tired of waiting for those companies to actually deliver what it has already been priced. And, you know, there is a correction. Um, so another way to, to capture big, uh, bigger moves is to um, is to wait for a market correction. Uh, if you study some of the the best performers uh, in a you know three to to twelve month time frame, you you see that so many of them start their move uh, immediately after uh, let's say eight to or to fifteen percent market correction, which used to happen every year before. We haven't had that in in a few years. Um, so the stocks that show relative strength during that correction, the stocks that manage to, uh, let's say, move sideways or even attempt to to break out as the the general market is dropping, you know, six, seven, ten percent, those are the stocks to pay attention to, because as soon as the general market bounces, those stocks will lead and outperform by a mile 
And, you know, the last bigger correction that we had was, you know, last September. And exactly at, exactly at that time, I think that the S&P dropped like, what, 7 8%? And exactly at that time, there were quite a few biotech stocks that, that just didn't move. They just, would, they just went sideways. Uh, they built new bases. And as soon as the market bounced, those stocks, pretty much every single one of them went up between 50 and 200% in the next three months. So I think for most, uh, for position traders, for longer term investors, the best thing that could happen to you uh, is a market correction. Because, you know, the pretty much the safest time to enter the market is right after those corrections. When the, when the general market is starting to move up and those stocks are starting to break out on new 50-day highs or new 52-week highs, and you know if you if you concentrate all your uh, effort to that specific time, I think you'll do really well without having to uh, to watch the market every day. And actually, you know, speaking of books, I actually have a have a recent book that I published exactly on position trading on longer longer term uh, you know trend following that exactly deals with that subject. And I co-authored that with uh, Howard Linson. Uh, it's called The Next Apple. It's also on Amazon. I think it's also really, really good read if you have the time. Yeah, for sure. We'll put a link to that one also um, in the show notes. Um, I'm, I'm sure that would be that would be a really good book to get into. Something you sort of brought up at the beginning of that answer there, and, and thanks for going into so much depth with it. As you mentioned, higher earnings, consistently higher earnings. For someone who doesn't follow fundamentals too much and sort of you know news like that type of thing how do they determine whether earnings are higher than sort of what is expected for example a company that that used to that used to grow at you know 10 12 percent quarter over quarter earnings and sales if that company suddenly suddenly reports a quarter where it has you know a 200% earning, uh, earnings growth and a 100% sales growth. You know, something major has just happened, uh, apparently, with that company. And this company, and usually those huge, that huge acceleration in earnings is just like a, uh, a cockroach. You know, there's never, there's never only one quarter. Uh, there are usually several quarters that follow. And if you study some of the, some of the best performing stocks, you know, on a longer time frame, uh, you know, they they really grew their earnings at you know triple digits. You know, it's that's that that's natural. You know, companies that grow their earnings and sales at such pace usually do very well. Okay, and another thing you sort of touched on in that same answer was um, many of these stocks might you know run for you know two hundred, three hundred percent in the space of a year. What are maybe some giveaways that the trend might be coming to an end? Because obviously you want to pocket as much of your gain as possible. So is there any giveaway that the trend might be starting to turn down? There, there could be several different uh, factors that uh, you know, could give you a clue. First of all, you never know. You could never know how far a trend uh, could go and how long it will last. But uh, just in general, if, if you see like a huge counter trend move, uh, let's say the stock suddenly drops 8% down in a day on, on a huge volume, 
uh, you know, that he has a major distribution day. You know, a day like that usually wakes people from their dream. All of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, uh, the fear of losing becomes bigger than the fear of of missing out. And you know, this this is usually the the beginning of the end. And like when you, when you have like a couple major distribution days like that. And and again, uh, if you're a position trader or a long term trend follower. Uh, I think it it also makes sense to to take some profits on strength, like for example, I'm using uh, a weekly uh, RSI. When it gets above eighty, I will I will take some partial profits on on also my positions rates. Every everyone has his own approach, and then I know a bunch of people that will never sell, sell on strength, that will only sell when on weakness. And they're also doing really well. So everyone has to build, you know, their own approach. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so here's a question. I'm interested to hear your insights on taking trades that have a worthwhile risk to reward. So what is something entry-level traders should understand about trades that have a good risk to reward before getting into them? Well, uh I mean, you, I, could, I could use the phrase "tight is good." So look for for uh, for a tight range. Um, you know, for for example, stock that that normally trades, uh, let's say a, a dollar. It's its normal daily range. It's all of a sudden uh, the last few days it, it's spent in a much tighter range. Let's say thirty cents range, and uh, look look for closes for uh, for a couple of days of where the closing price. Of each of those days is very close to each other, so you know this is this is just another ingredient that you can add when you look for a for a perfect setup. So for, uh, first of all, you never know how far a stock will will, uh, will travel uh, after it triggers. You know, it could travel five percent, it could travel you know twenty thirty percent. Of course, that depends on on the industry. Uh, it is in on its float uh, on the. Um, on the general, on the market cap of of the company you're trading, uh, it depends on the general market environment. So, in a good trading environment, uh, you know, of course, you get a much bigger move, and you, you know, you can risk fifty cents, and then you can make five dollars on on those fifty cents. In a choppier market environment, you you might make only fifty cents on your fifty cents risk. I mean, you never you never know in advance uh, your actual rewards. All you know is that in that specific trading market environment, uh, your market, your 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 setup has has an edge, and uh, let's say out of out of ten setups, probably you make money on seven, and out of those seven, you make a lot of money on two, and on five, you make you know a little bit of money. And and those two that, that where they really go in your favor, you know, they'll pretty much account for uh, for eighty percent of your of your overall profit. Sure. Okay. So, I read an article uh, the other day, and I think you wrote it on uh, Dr. Brett Steinberger's blog, which I thought was really interesting. And I'd like it if you could share uh, some of that with the listeners. And it was about uh, one of the most practical habits that has helped you as a trader. So, what is that practical habit? Would you mind sharing that with us? Um, are, are you talking about studying past winners? <laughs> yeah, it was about going over charts of sort of the best performing stocks on, on multiple yeah. time frames. 
Yeah, yeah, I already talked about it uh, here. Yeah, every single day I, I go over the the best performing stocks on on, on multiple time frames. So I, I keep a I keep a trading journal, and and on, on that trading journal, uh, you know, I, I I don't I not only review my my trades, I only review my uh, missed opportunities, and the missed opportunities, of course, of course, came from you know studying those past winners. So I'm, I'm looking for those best performing stocks, let's say, on a weekly time frame, and I'm asking myself, why did I miss that move? Uh, because ba- based on, on studying those past winners, I have built several different uh, screens that I run throughout the day because I have reversed engineered based on, the, based on my study of past winners. So I'm looking, why did I miss that move? And uh, should I create a? Should I, uh, you know, change my current screen? Should I create a new screen so next time I, I don't I don't uh, miss it? Even even though I, I know that there is no way I could catch them all, but I'm constantly trying to trying to improve uh, by studying past winners and by keeping a journal and you know constantly uh, trying to tinker my my screens. Okay, yeah, that's really good. So. All right, Ivan, well, let's start to wind this down. So let me ask you one of my favorite questions, and that is, what's the top reason you believe why the majority of traders never reach a high level of success? Because often traders sit out with big dreams and plenty of ambition and enthusiasm, but somewhere along the way, this sort of fades out and it doesn't get them there. So where is the disconnect? Like, why do the majority of traders fail? Why? Um, I, I, I think... They, they they don't concentrate so all, all their at the beginning first they, they don't have an most people don't have an edge and uh, once you find a setup with an edge most people don't concentrate enough efforts on learning everything about that setup and uh, making it profitable for them you know most people just try something and if they see that it doesn't work you know on, on, in a few weeks, they'll try something else. They, they constantly jump from one thing to another, and they never really become masters of one particular setup. And I think at the beginning, if you really learn one great setup and just, you know, the first couple of years, just trade spe- specifically that one setup. And, and, of course, you have to know when to trade it because there will, be, there will be time when you have to sit on the sideline and do nothing because, you know, your specific setup won't have an edge. If you do that, you know, over time, over time you, you become really successful and over time you'll be able to start adding new setups. So at the beginning, you know, less is more. You, you, have, to, you have to concentrate on that one setup. And, and there are so many actually working setups that are shared for free in the public domain or you can get them in, you know, there are so many really good books. You can get them for really cheap and just... Uh, just just take a setup from another trader that you know is already profitable, and uh, you can tinker it, uh, you know, to your own uh, you know lifestyle or based on your own uh, study of of past winners. Yeah, I love that answer. That's really good. You t- you've made a lot of really valuable points in there. So, Ivan, thanks again so much for coming on. You've you've given some incredible answers and incredible insights. So you've been an awesome guest. Before we bring this to a close, uh, can you share with listeners where they can learn more about you and your trading and, you know, any sites they should check out? Uh, so I'm, I'm active on, on stock tweets and on uh, Twitter and uh, I'm using the handle at uh, Ivan Hoff. 
Ivan H O F F, and I also uh, run a couple of sites. It's ivanhoff.com, and then the other one is sociallaverage50.com. And you can, you know, just ping me on on Twitter on stock tweets. Okay, good one. I'll put make sure to put links to uh, everything you mentioned there in the show notes at chatwithtraders.com, and just click on episode twenty four, um, and. Just you mentioned there, Social Leverage 50. Do you just want to give us an overview on, on what that site's all about? Uh, yeah, it's a trading service that, that I run with uh, Howard Linson and it pretty much uh, help, helps the traders and aspiring investors to, to be more profitable in the markets and just to accelerate their learning curve. Sure, that's really good. So, I mean, check that out. And um, yeah, again, all the links will be in the show notes. Ivan, thanks so much for coming on, man. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. All right. Thank you, man. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.